Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. There are 15 days until election day and you're listening to episode 18 of Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose the topics. For our discussion of all things queer, we'll discuss educating Judge Amy Coney Barrett. For our conversation on all things sports, we'll give you a sad update on the world rugby ban of trans women. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we'll discuss this weekend's Challenge Cup 2. After that, we're going to share part one of our interview with Juana Seymour and Savannah Sugarbaker of the DuPont Social Club. Before we get into our topics, we always like to give you an update on Team DC. All Team DC events are currently on hold because of COVID restrictions, but Team DC has added a few new social media features, including Feature Fridays, which feature posts about members of our various member clubs, and Spotlight Sunday, which features posts about LGBTQ athletes. Make sure to follow Team DC at Team DC LGBT on Facebook and at Team DC Sports on Instagram and on Twitter. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or type a quick review means a lot to help us get the word out. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. With that, here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. Okay, so for my topic of all things queer, let's talk about day two of the Senate confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett. As we have seen for a few days now, Judge Barrett dodged answering questions during her hearing, as many previous judicial nominees have done in the past. We can only make assumptions about how Judge Barrett will rule as she's confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court, but we can also make some inferences on how she answers her questions. When asked about the 2015 decision in Obergefell versus Hodges, which legalized same-sex marriage, Barrett twice used his words sexual preference. For some who don't know, sexual preference is an outdated term that suggests that who you are attracted to is a choice. Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii blasted Barrett during her questioning for the use of the outdated term. If you look at the recording of the hearing, you can clearly see Judge Barrett taking offense to the statement Senator Hirono made. Judge Barrett later apologized. This may be another learning moment for some. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary recently updated the definition of sexual preference. All right, Laura, what do you think? Are we getting a preview of what is to come with the courts? Well... I mean, I guess I should say not necessarily. Judge Barrett hasn't been officially confirmed yet. But yeah, I mean, this is something I have been screaming and yelling about for five years. And I think that mainstream Democrats have not been paying nearly enough attention to this. I don't know if mainstream establishment, whatever we want to call basically the old guard, um, you know, they really fell asleep at 
at the wheel on this judges issue. Republicans have for 30 some odd years, basically since Roe v. Wade was decided, been engaged in a well-organized machine (laughs) effort uh, to overtake the federal judiciary. Um, They are breeding and raising little baby judges to be little baby uh, Scalia's and Amy Coney Barrett is a perfect example of one of those uh, judges. And, you know, you're right. Uh, We don't know for sure what Amy Coney Barrett would do with a, if faced with a case that looks to overturn a Burgerfell. But she has made public statements in the past where she praises the decision that was um, written by Roberts in the minority of Obergefell. So that's as close as you can get to um, saying how you would rule in that case. And she would have ruled with the minority. And if she was on the court at the time, then marriage equality would not be the law of the land right now. So yeah, this is exactly a preview of what's to come for the next generation because Amy Coney Barrett is younger than me. <laughs> yeah, she is pretty young and she's going to be on the courts it when you know when she gets I'm not going to say when but you know it, it's looking like it that she is going to be confirmed. Um yeah, this is something that if you look at some of the other uh I guess her opinions on some of the decisions, she was saying, you know, it's basically a state's issue, why it shouldn't be a federal issue. So again, um, yeah, we wouldn't have uh, gay marriage, national gay marriage right now. It wouldn't be uh, legal in almost all the states because each state would have to decide if they well, want to legalize or not like it was before. Yeah. And but regardless, yeah. it wouldn't be recognized by federal law. And as we know, um, there are many, many federal laws that impact people differently based on whether or not they're married, including how you file your income taxes. So, yeah. And I stand corrected. Thank you, uh, Wikipedia. Judge Barrett is actually five years older than me (laughs) at a ripe age. Which is still young. Right. She's 48 years old. I mean, she's going to be on the court for probably 25 years, maybe longer, which is wild to think about. You know, that. yeah. yeah. I don't want to be like an alarmist or anything, but who knows what other cases might be coming up in the next, what, 20, 30 years? Be an alarmist. Be an alarmist. I mean, we know what some of them are. There, there are election cases on the docket right now. The ACA is being heard the week after the election. And if Republicans go forward, as they have said they plan, Amy Barrett is going to be on the bench before that hearing, yeah. which means she'll be one of the judges unless she recuses herself, which she won't, deciding whether the ACA is constitutional or not. You can bet that there are going to be cases that relate somehow to issues that impact climate change. I mean, be an alarmist. The election, everything. Even, yeah, no, even, uh, you please, know, please be an alarmist. Yeah. <laughs> this is what the Democrats, like I said, have really let this pitch go by for decades. And it's going to take a lot of work to undo that. I mean, it is my strong opinion that if. Uh, the Democrats take control of Congress in this next election. One of the very first things they need to do is remove Dianne Feinstein from the Judiciary Committee. (laughs) (laughs) 
she it was her you know i mean this this happened on her watch she's been there for forever and she just hugged a maskless lindsey graham who refused to take a covid test <laughs> at the end of this fucking hearing i don't i don't know what is wrong in diane feinstein's mind or what world she's living in right now but that you know we we've got problems we need to stop nominating moderate democrats this is what we've been doing right we've been nominating people from the middle of the spectrum we've been nominating overwhelmingly uh corporate like lawyers or prosecutors sometimes law professors we get some of our more liberal people like uh sonia sotomayor from the from the realm of academia but for the most part the judges being nominated by, by democrats are not liberal democrats they're pretty middle of the road democrats because that was sort of for the longest time both parties kind of operated under this assumption that you should try not to overly polarize, right, the, the selections that you have. But the Republicans have not been playing that game for the last 30 years. Look at the people that they are putting on the court. These are the most conservative people. Amy Coney Barrett is a woman who is an originalist. I'm not sure if Amy Coney Barrett knows this. <laughs> But women, she wouldn't be able to vote or do anything. Did not have equal rights in this country when the Constitution was written. The Constitution did not give women the right to vote. The word "woman" does not appear in the Constitution. But Amy Coney Barrett is an originalist. I mean, this is some wild stuff, yeah. Gabe. She wouldn't even be a judge. Yeah, <laughs> a judge. She wouldn't. Or anything. She wouldn't have a job. She wouldn't be allowed to have her own bank account. Her husband would have the bank account. I mean, come on. She wouldn't be a judge, he says. No, sir, he would not. She would not. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. this is, this is crazy. Uh, guys, there are a mere 14 days from tomorrow is the, the election. Voting has started. I hope most of you have already voted. If you have not voted, then make sure you have a voting plan and that you're going to vote as soon as you can. Don't wait until election day if you don't have to. Um, lines are going to be long. Mail is going to be slow. And you don't want to sit this one out. This is not the time to sit on the sidelines. Totally agree. But they say, going back to the question, like, do you think it's it was just like a one-off or do you actually think that she's using, I mean... Yeah, she's using these old terms like sexual preference instead of sexual orientation. Sexual preference is some is a phrase that I'm sure comes out of Amy Coney Barrett's mouth an unusual amount of times, right? I've noticed that people who uh, are a lot of conservative people, particularly a lot of conservative Christians, which Amy Coney Barrett is, are a little bit obsessed with who people sleep with. And... <laughs> So the phrase sexual preference is something she has a lot of opinions about. And so she probably says it an awful lot. And I don't think it's um, a surprise should be a surprise to anyone that she hasn't bothered to update her, her language. Um, I'm sure she still thinks it is a choice. What, um, who you're attracted to or who you fall in love with or who you're romantically uh, interested in. I, she probably still thinks it is a choice, but whether she does or not, what it really displays is that she doesn't care, right? Yeah. Refusing to be careful about your language is just a sign that you can't be bothered to um, take a couple of extra seconds to respect people's humanity. It's you know, it happens all the time when people are not careful with their language. It's just because it's not important enough to them. And it's really sad be 
No, I agree. Like, yeah, it's, it's just something that, and it's something we can do too, is just be careful what we say and, you know, but also call people out about it. Like, I'm really glad that uh, Senator Hirono actually called her out and, you know, right after the questioning and brought it to her attention. But yeah. no, and Hirono actually brought it up and said, hey, if you're using these words and this is what you believe in, then yes, LGBTQ plus people have a right to be alarmed right now and have a right to be upset about what is happening right now because you're a threat to your their rights and she is she's a threat to our rights yep 100 percent right elections have consequences and this is it right now people right. keep saying you're in the sidelines and look this is what's going on right now and we just got to figure out how we're going to fight back that's right if you care about pretty much anything then you <laughs> then how you vote matters so get out and vote Iwillvote.com is a great resource if you're looking for um, information to help you make your voting plan. All right, Gabe, what's going on in the world of sports? All right, now for my sports topic, I have an update on a topic we previously discussed uh, this summer that is rocking the inclusive rugby world. All right, so on October 9th, 2020, World Rugby, the governing body of the sport of rugby, announced that after months of research and examining the latest scientific research, it had concluded, quote, that safety and fairness cannot presently be assured for women competing against trans women in contact rugby. The announcement is still a little murky. Trans women will still be allowed to play non-contact rugby, but trans women will be banned from playing in the elite and international levels. Local clubs and regions will still have the right to make their own decision. Again, we stand with our trans ruggers, and hopefully rugby can one day be a sport for everyone again. Uh, but this is just... I don't know. I was not surprised that this is the ruling that World Rugby came up with, but it's still very murky and very muddled in their decision. I mean, yes, I they're mean, so. Uh, I, of course, nobody should be surprised, right? Because as we talked about in the summer, they leaked that this was the um, where they were where leaking, they were going, right? where they're heading. So, so, but it is really disappointing. And what was a little, what was a little surprising to me is that I had understood that they were um, supposed to be waiting until the um, larger governing body had gotten together and there was going to be a, a vote from the larger body and it, they weren't getting together until like November, I believe. So I don't know why they decided to move ahead and issue the policy based on just, I guess, the working group instead of waiting for the larger vote, as they originally said they were going to. That's a little sketchy to me because I wonder if I mean, there certainly has been a lot of uh, international support um, for the for trans women ruggers in the wake of the the pol proposed policy being released and i wonder if world rugby saw, sort of saw some writing on the wall that if they waited for a larger vote that it was going to be turned down and that's why they rushed it and just issued it in advance which is totally sketchy if that's what they did um also, I don't know if it was that murky. I mean, the way I read it, and I could be wrong, but I read it to say that at the elite level, trans women are banned, and at all levels below that, meaning the premier club, it's essentially, yeah. you know, the women's premier league type level, so, or like national team levels, um, trans women won't be allowed to compete but at all other levels, the independent governing agencies will make the choice. And I mean, I got to tell you, honestly, I've played rugby um, since the 90s. So it's been a long time. And there's I've played with 
a bunch of different teams who are at a bunch of different levels of skill and talent and size and strength. And honestly, the, the further away from the elite level that you get, the more dangerous the sport of rugby becomes because yeah. people just aren't as well trained um, in how to safely engage in contact sports. Because unfortunately, at the lowest level of competition is where you usually have the least experienced coaches and sometimes player coached teams. So a lot of times you have these teams that are essentially their coach has had three years of rugby experience and that no tech, no training in coaching skills. So it's, it can be very unsafe. It's also true at the lower quote unquote, lower levels of rugby, where you get more of these social sides that you, there can be the widest gap in terms of talent, in terms of experience and in terms of size, which make, which is really what makes um, the potential for danger higher. So it's, pretty asinine frankly um the way that this this policy is set out it basically goes against like what they're trying to prevent which is if this is really an issue about safety um you're going in it the wrong way well and yes and then the last problem of course is that they included a bunch of quote science with their with their policy as if it was um you know supporting it and kind of couching it making it look like it's supported by science but it was peer review it was non-peer reviewed nonsense that's not none of the studies are done at the elite level of women's rugby it's just very it, it, it's it's shoddy work guys shoddy work <laughs> and yeah like you say we stand with uh trans ruggers everywhere and i hope that um, people are not going to just stop paying attention to this issue because of what world rugby did just keep doing what we're doing and try to pressure them to overturn this policy because it's bad. Yeah, we'll see. Cause uh, like we said before, this is the first major sport world sport that has now full on come out saying that they're going to trans, they're going to ban trans um, athletes. Um, so we don't know. Let's see. Hopefully it doesn't, affect other sports or other sports kind of take the cue from world rugby and say, Hey, we need to start looking at this and start, you know, bringing in their own bands. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. It's interesting, right? Because like the Olympic committee already has a policy about um, trans athletes and the world rugby decided not to follow that. And I think most other sports, major um, sporting organizations have been opting to follow the Olympics policy. Um, and hopefully that won't change. Hopefully rugby will continue to be the outlier um, in what they're doing. I do think there's something to be acknowledged about the fact that rugby is unique in the level of contact for women's sports. There are not other, very many other women's sports that are full contact. Um, so I don't know that I would start ringing the panic bell that because world rugby did this, a bunch of other women's sports organizations are going to start following their, their guide. Cause I think they're more, most other sports that don't have that level of contact would be more likely to be persuaded to stick with what the Olympics or Olympic committee is doing, which is a small glimmer of good news. I think in this story. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested to see what other, you know, inclusive rugby teams and also the straight rugby teams, um, how they react to these, uh, this news. 
Yeah, I mean, there was so much um, outpouring of support for trans ruggers after the news that World Rugby was considering this leaked. I hope that we don't lose sight of that and that people keep um, focusing on that and keep speaking up and demanding better science. Um, If World Rugby is going to do something like this, I think we need to demand that they provide better support um, for their position and keep fighting against them i don't know i'm just so i don't know it's so so much depressing news that we've been talking about with all the sports and everything and hopefully 2020 will be a better year yeah it's it's disheartening um to see something like this happen in a sport that we both love um because rugby really in a lot of ways is very inclusive um and at the club level it really is such a great atmosphere um, and such a great inclusive atmosphere and the support for LGBTQ uh, rugby teams has grown leaps and bounds in the last 10, 15 years in the international rugby community. So it's really disappointing to see this major um, step backward, but it is a reminder. I think that while we were excited or happy or took as such a good sign all of the growing support for LGBTQ leagues amongst international rugby. It's not clear that all that support um, actually ever was intended to include our trans uh, brethren. You know, a, a lot of people who are not part of the community and unfortunately a lot of people who are part of the community do not consider trans people to be as important or as equal as LGB. You know, a lot of people who say they support the LGBT community, what they really mean is they support the LGB community. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I loved about playing rugby or I love about playing rugby is a community. And then just the aspect of like, oh, you're a rugger and everyone gets together, supports everyone, you know, gay, straight. But now, yeah, we're basically saying, oh yeah, you can be part of a community, but not you trans women, please don't, you know, you're not welcome in rugby. And that sucks because that's the whole point of, you know, the community is like everyone loves being a rugger and loves hanging out with everyone. And, you know, regardless of like, if you win or lose, that thing, one thing I loved is just like the camaraderie after matches and just like the, the sport in general, how everyone comes together and this is kind of disheartening. It's just, you know, we're basically saying, yeah, we're a, we're a great sport for everyone except for trans women. Yeah, it's a real fucking bummer. Um, and with that, Gabe, why don't you bring us to the intersection of sports and queer? Although it seems like our sports topic, we're already sitting right <laughs> there at the intersection. And I'm glad to be there for a little extra time this week. All right, for this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to discuss the Team DC Challenge Cup 2. On Saturday, October 17th, Team DC held their annual Challenge Cup. This year's virtual event had 10 teams competing for their name on the Challenge Cup and a party for 30 guests at Pitchers, complete with complimentary food and and drinks. Teams competed in trivia, a name game, speed charades, and name that tune. The final four teams, the Pickle Ticklers, the Igbo Babies, the Power Tens, and the Heights Villains, competed in five rounds of Family Feud. Two winning teams spent an hour navigating an enchanted forest virtual escape room for the finale. Neither team was able to escape in time and may not be heard from again. In the end, the Heights Villains were able to get ahead farther and were crowned the 2020 Team DC Challenge Cup champions. 
Special thanks to the DC Furies Women's Rugby, the Washington Renegades Rugby, the DC Strokes Rowing Club, Kara Bowling, the DuPont Social Club, and the various supporters who help submit teams. Also, many thanks to our volunteers. Let's hope we can all join together in person for Team DC's Challenge Cup 3. All right, Laura, so what did you think about the Challenge Cup? I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... So the Challenge Cup is a really fun event. Last year was our first year doing it, and it was obviously really different last year because we were able to be in person at pitchers, and we played beer pong and flip cup and darts and the kind of games that you play when drink you're drink a lot of beer. Yeah, and the kind of games you can play when you're when you have a big group together in a bar. And unfortunately, we weren't able to do that this year, but I think it was still fun in its own right. Um I think it was probably a really great opportunity for groups of friends, groups of five to kind of get together and play some games together and have a fun Saturday afternoon together, which none of us are getting as much of as we would like because of, you know, gathering restrictions and whatnot. So good times had by all. I mean, I did crack up at the giant Zoom call that we had with everybody coming in. I felt like a teacher, like trying to control (laughs) a bunch of elementary school kids that were drunk. But yeah. it was a lot of fun. Well, be grateful you weren't on my end of it where I was trying to shuffle people in and out of breakout rooms. <laughs> and it was complicated to say the least when people weren't always able to remember their own name or their team name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the best too was I was getting pictures sent from all the different teams. Like one I got was one for the DuPont Social Club where it was the drag queens just sitting around a table all staring at computers and making sure that they listen to trivia. I was like, Wow, that's how you get them quiet. Like, that's how you do it. <laughs> well, I I was in a room moderating the team Pickle Ticklers when they were playing their Name That Tune game, and they were a lot of fun. I was really impressed with their music knowledge, <laughs> um, and they all seemed to be enjoying themselves. There definitely seemed to be a couple of temper tantrums being thrown in a couple of the rooms, but, you know, <laughs> such is such as what happened when we all get together to compete at something um but i i don't know i was pretty impressed that we had so many people come together on a zoom call on a saturday to support team dc and to support each other so yeah then all the shout babies. out i was happy to see all the babies yeah there were babies our winning team had a toddler and two infants uh on screen with and them. they won and they won even juggling twins twin babies <laughs> so yeah big shout out to them but hopefully i think we both would agree that we as much fun as we had we are really hoping to be back next fall at pitchers playing beer pong again all right that's this week's under the bleachers roundup of things queer things sports and things at the intersection of sports and queer we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we will share the first part of our interview with the dupont social club we had so much fun with the ladies from the dupont social club that we weren't able to fit it all into just one interview so you're going to get to hear part one today and then next week you'll get part two of our interview And welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Javier Aquino, a.k.a. Juana Seymour, and Shane Gill, a.k.a. Savannah Sugarbaker. They're two local amateur drag queens who are members of the DuPont Social Club that dabble in sports and things that involve drinking and balls. 
<laughs> well, that's true. That's very true. Juana is originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and has been living in D.C. for 26 years. Savvy hails from L.A., <laughs> Lower Alabama, and has been in D.C. for 27 years. Both have been involved with many different community organizations, local sports, and have known to imbibe a few cocktails or three. Oh, hello, Savvy and Juana. How are y'all doing tonight? Hi, how are you? Hey, how's it going? We're doing well. Thank you for uh, uh, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed today. Let's start off with a few questions. Um, both of you are drag queens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maybe. Well, well, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Wait, so as the one non-drag queen here in the group, can I just get a point of clarification? Sure. If, how many times does a person need to dress in drag before they are a drag queen? I think once you do it and you you go for That's it. That's it? Queen for life? Once and done. One and done. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, so what drew you into the art of drag? Savvy, you want to go first? How'd you get started? Oh, oh, I well, I thought there was a guy named Art and Drag at first. And <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of intrigued, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, I always, I've always <laughs> loved making people laugh, and I always enjoy, you know, just putting on a costume and having fun and entertaining people, if, it, if you call it entertaining. Hopefully some are. But um, I also, yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of how I, what I think of when I'm thinking of myself in drag is hopefully I'm, hopefully I'm entertaining people and making people laugh. I think on my end, um, it was about masculinity. I think I question um, my sexuality coming from a small island. I went to Miss Amundsburg and Pageant and I think that's what um, my curiosity about drag um, uh, came up because um, the person who invited me actually was from Puerto Rico and um, I was just completely mesmerized by the act that he put together on um, on display or on uh, on stage and I think I just got a little curious about what if or what is it to be on there and um, just dress up as a female because I was dating a guy and I was a little judgmental about it. And um, I just wanted not to be that way. Just want to unpack that a little bit because that was a really great answer, but I feel like there was a lot in there. Um, so Juana was, um, was the, you, when you went to the Adams Morgan pageant, was that the first time you had seen drag performed or just the first time by someone you knew? The first time that I have seen drag performed. Wow, okay. So, all right, that's interesting. And, um, then my next question is, you said you were a little bit judgmental. Do you mean that you were judgmental of femininity in men or what, what is it that you yes. meant specifically? I think that's exactly what I meant. I, what I meant. I just didn't understand why men, if they were attracted to men, they needed to be so feminine. And I found myself in submitting inside just being judgmental about it. And, and I had a little debate and, um, inside about it and finally got over it and just let it go. Yep. All right, that's great. And just to close the loop on that, now that you are a seasoned drag queen yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you feel like, 
Do you feel like embracing your feminine side gives you, uh, makes you more in touch with your masculinity and your identity as a gay man? Oh, totally. I think it's just now that I know that I'm all, all of the above, I think it's just, it's, it's just fantastic to have this freedom to feel whatever you feel. And I think the judgment has been out the door and I love it. I love it. I, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for sharing. Sure. All right. So how did you all choose your drag names? Oh, shit. Goes <laughs> 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 on. Oh, my goodness. So um, for Savannah, my original idea for a drag name was I wanted to be Kimona Wanaleya. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I wanted to be Miss Hawaii, of course, with that name. And I went to uh, my first happy hour of the DuPont Social Club. And some of the folks there said, you know, what is your name? And I said, Kimona Wanaleya. And they said, not with that accent. <laughs> And so they were like, where are you originally from? And I said, Alabama. But, and they said, well, we already have a Miss Alabama. So next month, when you come back to the happy hour, you better have a different name. And so I love designing women. And, um, and so I thought of, well, I could be Miss Georgia. And Savannah Sugarbaker just came about that way. Well, I love uh, designing women as well. So I know. I love, and I love the name. And I, you know, Savannah Sugarbaker, I was all ready to guess um, designing women, but I have no guess whatsoever where Wanna Seymour comes from. So I can't wait uh, to hear this. So Wanna Seymour came from actually just like going through, through minds and thoughts and, uh, and discussions. Um, I do have to say uh, Savannah's and my, uh, Savannah's husband and my boyfriend have always been very, very supportive of us as drag queens. And uh, we start thinking of a, a proper name because of course, Latino, I said to myself, I want to be, I want to have a Latin name and I want something that resonates and just people will have fun with. So Jane Seymour came to life for some strange reason because we went to London um, and that's thing that when I cemented my myself as Juana Seymour because we start like doing rhymes and things and that and Juana Seymour came to life and we didn't want to have just the name organically be transferred to Spanish it's just what Juana Seymour want to see more and then Juana Seymour came to the picture yeah I'm gonna confess that I put the two and two together to want to see more like about three words into your answer and felt <laughs> kind of stupid. All right. How would you describe your drag aesthetic or your personalities in drag? I'm a cougar. I'm going to put it right out there. I'm an older lady. I like younger men. Actually, I just love men's. Um, I actually like ladies on occasion. Um, but I just, it, no, I'm, I'm, that's a joke there, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> that was the joke. Laura, I was like, yes, girl. <laughs> the joke was the ladies part, right? All right. <laughs> no, but definitely like when I put on drag for the first time, even, you know, at 26 years old, I was still like, oh yeah, I'm an older lady and I like younger men for sure. <laughs> 
So it's both both an aesthetic and a personality. Yeah, for me it is, yes. <laughs> okay. I think for Juana, um, of course, you know, it, it, unfortunately it's a typical stereotype, but it is what it is and you have to accept it and embrace it. It's the drama, it's the Latino, it's the passion, it's the biggest, the bigger, the bigger picture. So I think Juana is very driven by that. Ah, am I allowed to call you spicy? Yes. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of also is almost like a cake topper too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what my dress is, bitch. She likes you, know, you know, those dresses. That look like- That's an aesthetic thing. That is yeah, aesthetic. That's my aesthetic, the cake topper. <laughs> Right. You know, it's like when you're like baking those Barbie quinceañero uh, cakes. That's me right there. <laughs> okay, lots of layers and ruffles. Lots of layers. And feathers. And- yeah. Very good. So you've mentioned the DuPont Social Club a couple of times. So um, for people who don't know, can you tell us what the DuPont Social Club is? Yes, the DuPont Social Club, um, it's um, one of the, uh, or, or the oldest, um, organization uh, that we organized the Miss Amans Morgan pageant um, and the mission of the group and I'm just going to tell you right now and I hate to read from something but I want to be fair and square about this. The DuPont Social Club mission is to preserve the legacy and longevity of the Miss Amans Morgan pageant and to support the LGBT community in Washington DC. The the group has been um, uh, running for 32 years it's been an amateur drag. Um, we have been celebrating drag um, for many, many, many years. And um, we have filled a, a ballroom at the Hilton now for 2,400 people. And um, we are still trying to keep up, preserve, and um, keep our identity and just keep um, our presence in Washington, D.C. as an amateur drag queen group. All right. And I know that the DuPont Social Club um, raises quite a bit of money for charity. Can you talk a little bit about that and the kind of causes that you support? Bobby, do you want to say that one? Yeah. So um, one of the things that we wanted to want to do is, of course, to support our local LGBTQ plus community. And so um, when we, you know, kind of first started, it really was just a, um, a kind of a group of friends that had a pageant and, um, there, they happen to have some money left over from when they had that pageant and they gave it as a tip to the bartenders um, at, the, at the local bar that they were holding it. And as the show has grown, as you know, if they have money left over at, at the end of the year, it kind of um, then is donated to a charity. And the kind of two caveats of the charity is that it has to be a local Washington DC area based LGBTQ um, plus uh, charity, or had, or you know, kind of really starting with our organization, it was um, you know AIDS-related um, charitable organization. So those those are kind of the, the only two like caveats of the um, the nonprofit that money that is raised. And what we do as a group is whoever wins the um, the show that night, they kind of help to put on the event for the next year, and they get to choose which charity they want to see selected. Okay, all right, I get that. So that's kind of like, um, you know, kind of a, a kind of a badge of honor. You win, and then you get to help out a local charity the, the following year. 
Yeah, that's a great prize, actually. Um, and I heard a rumor that I think maybe both of you have won this pageant in the past. Is that right? No, no, we both have. Um, I like to refer to myself as Miss Adams Morgan 1812. Okay. I have an overture. <laughs> and I must admit that John Quincy Adams is a cuddler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and 2016 was a very special night for me. <laughs> Wait, 2016? 2016. 2016. Yep. Ooh, like end of October 2016? End of October. Um, it was amazing to see uh the 25 years on the same night, the first and the only Miss Puerto Rico won the pageant. And um it history repeated on October 31, which was Halloween night in 2016. It was a magical amazing night for me yep. well i would like to congratulate you on that but i also want to just ask the question that's probably on anyone's mind which is do you think that having a latino win miss adams morgan is what gave us donald trump a few weeks later <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> no i'm just kidding. I'm kidding i would never put that on you <laughs> <laughs> maybe throwing some paper towels at me maybe that, maybe that will have work I mean I just but, had to put it out there I just had to <laughs> no 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 I, I understand um, I still don't understand why um, a group of Latinos in um, US uh, still voting for uh, this person um it's very hard for me to comprehend because if you see the trajectory and what's happening in the world right now, because of Donald Trump, you should be completely retracting yourself from following or even even hearing about this person's name. And um, I'm still kind of like questioning why, still not understanding, not understanding. I think a lot of us share your sentiments. Amen. 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 A to the man's. And I hope so. And I hope so. And I think I hope in this election, we will make a change and it will be a different scenario because I think we need it. We need a a huge change right now. It's, It's very imperative and very, very important. So it is said, so it shall be done. Amen. <laughs> All right, so both of you have been involved in the Team DC Nights Out, especially the Night Out with the Nationals. Uh, can you talk about uh, the chance when you all came out in the field with the pride flag? I, I think for me, and, and I, and I want to speak first because I think uh, Savi Shane has been an organizer and um, a, a, a captain uh, for us to do the Nights Out for so many years now. And it was an honor for me to share that moment, a very special moment and very emotional to carry the flag into the, uh, into the field of, of the Nationals. Um, and I think Savi can tell you more about how sh- he got involved um, doing, to be the, our captain, to gather us and so many friends of his and, uh, and the DuPont Social Club has been um, present um, to be um, one of the supporters of the Nights Out. Um, it's been a fantastic event. It's wonderful to see three, 4,000 gays together, either 
drinking, uh, watching the game, saying hello to friends, just being together at that night, um, and just even some thunderstorms have come at night, some some nights, and we have endured and we have um, just enjoy and loving the night. So yeah, no, yeah, you're right. There has been some crazy thunderstorms, but one thing that always happens after a thunderstorm is a rainbow. And we've had a lot of beautiful rainbows on that night. And I am just, I've got like, like goosebumps, chill bumps, whatever you say. Um, so yeah, the DuPont Social Club has been a, um, a all-star partner with Team DC for selling tickets to the night out um, mm -hmm. events. And yeah, I um, beyond honored that, um, um, just a couple of days after the horrific Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando mm -hmm. that claims so many innocent lives um, that the Nationals um, bought a huge um, uh, gay pride flag and asked different members of the All-Star team to um, bring out the flag onto the field uh, at the beginning of the evening and the gay men's chorus sang um, the national anthem. And it was just, it was moving. It was mm -hmm. uh, probably one of the highlights of um, any of the things that I've done at the nationals of season ticket holder and love being at those games, miss it totally um, because of COVID. Um, but that was pr probably one of the most uh, memorable moments that I've had in national stadium. Um, and it was thanks to team DC and the partnership that you guys have with all of the local kind of organizations that help to put on the night out. So thank, thank you, Laura and, and yes. Gabe for um, being part of that, um, that effort. Yes. Yeah, the Nationals are a really fantastic partner. Um, they always do something special and um, that was certainly an extraordinary display that was super appreciated. All right, so we had so much fun with the ladies from the DuPont Social Club, and they had so many great things to say that we had to save their interview in two pieces. So um, you're going to get to hear the second half of our interview with the DuPont Social Club next week. And with that, we are wrapping up this episode of Under the Bleachers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.